Welcome to Divorce Master Radio, where divorce is made simple. Got questions about divorce in California? We've got answers. Your host, Tim Blankenship, is a licensed legal document assistant specializing in California divorce, helping those representing themselves. And now, here's Tim. Hi, everybody. This is Tim Blankenship with Divorce661.com. Today, we're speaking with Jennifer Taylor. She is a CPA and a certified divorce financial analyst with offices in San Clemente, California. And we're going to learn all about what she does and what her service provides and how she can help you going through the divorce process. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I am doing well, Tim. How are you? Doing well as, as well. That didn't sound right. Doing well also. Um, so where do you want to start? Like, we connected because you provide a service that my clients need and kind of vice versa many times. Right. Um, maybe you could just start off with talking about more about what the CDFA designation is and, and specifically what you do for those that sure. aren't aware. Absolutely. So it's a uh, somewhat known certification, but I would say it's a lot lesser known than, uh, for instance, a CPA or a CFP, a certified financial planner. So what I am is a certified divorce financial analyst, and that is certified by the Institute of Divorce Financial Analysts. So what it really means is that I have received specialized training on divorce-specific topics, so tax implications of divorce, a lot of the nuances that you'll find in looking at short-term and long-term impact of decisions that are often made around property division within the divorce process as well. And within that certification, it requires you to have a financial background or to have at least um, acquired some experience within the field as either an accountant, a CPA, or a CFP, or there's some other designations as well. So most of them you will find um, out in the field also have those those designations. Got you. And when it comes to with what you do, do it's obviously specific to divorce. How does this? I don't know if this is a good question or not. How does this interface with say mediation? Do you consider yourself a mediator or how does that, how do you, do you, how do you divide those lines? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's a natural kind of relationship between the services that I provide to my clients and the mediation process. And um, I guess from an idealistic standpoint, I would love if the majority, if not all of my clients were approaching me from the standpoint of wanting to be amicable, wanting to work together, um, wanting to take more of a mediation-like approach. And the way that that gets incorporated into my services is that in, and I'll get into some of those details as we kind of move along the podcast, but um, a lot of it has to do with looking at the goals and priorities that you and your spouse have if you're working together and really trying to align property division outcomes to those goals that that both you and your spouse have. So the ideal outcome is going to be that we're checking off as many of those boxes for both of you as possible, but but through that is is a natural mediation process itself. So I bring you two together, we discuss those goals and priorities, we look at property division settlement scenarios that address those, and then we work together through um, what you would typically see in a mediation setting of the back and forth and the education and explanation and pros and cons and things of that nature. So um, a lot of overlap there and a lot of similarities with the way that I approach it as a mediator would as well. 
Gotcha. So, and because you are a CPA and also a certified divorce financial analyst, is that why you focus your marketing efforts more on the financial end of things as opposed to, say, offering mediation? Mediation, like you say, obviously is going to play a role in, in every all the clients that you're dealing with, but you market yourself more as a, as the financial end as opposed to mediation. Would that be correct? That's correct. And I have received training as a divorce mediator, mm-hmm. so um, I can provide assistance or guidance in some of the other areas, but I tend to like to practice on specifically the property division section of that. And, and on yeah. that note, I end up really supporting, I actually have a client right now who I am representing as an advocate, meaning that I'm working with her specifically um, to put together proposals and to coach her through the mediation process. So that's a little bit of a different play on on that. And, you know, we can get into some more of those details throughout the rest of the discussion, but the, mm-hmm. it can take a lot of forms. It can look a lot of different ways. I think um, everyone's got a very unique situation, but when it comes to I would say more of the custody issues and things like that. I prefer to guide my clients to work with mediators that are trained specifically in that area and have more expertise than I do. Uh I want to make sure that they're aligning to the best resources possible. And I think that's another area to point out that just because you go to work with a mediator doesn't mean that you have to um, approach every aspect of the divorce process with them. So it's very easy to scope out working with um, one mediator to handle parenting plans or, or custody issues. And you can carve out and scope out the property division with another mediator as well. So you've kind of carved out a niche in the mediation field related specifically to, to finance and division of property and things of that nature. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Gotcha. So that said, and obviously, I can see the the value, and that's why I refer clients to you. The value that you bring to the table in uh, helping people through these financial um, aspects. Um, what would you say, as far as situations that would make sense to use your service? Yeah. Um, so, property division can often be a very significant portion of the divorce process. You know, um, uh, custody issues can often be at play, but when you're talking about the financial picture, this is going to be something that um, is going to impact all aspects of your life, including your children and your family um, environment. So for me, looking at what I try to explain to people is there are some cases where, you know, I don't think that you've got to worry too much about bringing in financial experts. And that's if you've got a lot of cash, um, liquid assets, you don't have a, a lot of complexity at play. So you can probably manage that um, on your own. But as soon as you start to really introduce some complexity, for instance, a marital home, um, if you've, if you've, got home ownership and that's going to be an area that you've got concerns. For instance, maybe one party wants to stay in the home. Um, If there are parts of the marital basket that require valuation, so for instance, a pension plan or retirement plans, um, executive compensation stock options, if there's a lot of concerns around separating out separate versus community property, 
um, if there's a big imbalance of power or education or knowledge that exists mm-hmm. between spouses, I often find that to be a big area where I can add a lot of value. For instance, um, it's very common to see that that one spouse kind of controls the financial picture right. and often has most of the information and not that that's necessarily intended to be a disadvantage, but it, I see it play out all the time where, um, you know, either someone is afraid to jump in and ask questions out of fear of sounding, you know, like they don't know what they're talking about or just the dynamic between the couple. And that can come into play with the entire divorce situation. So I just find if that imbalance exists that, um, this process can level the playing field and can help to provide education so that both parties feel like they're making confident and um, informed decisions. That makes sense. And that's kind of a good segue into my next question, which is what are some of the most common financial mistakes people make during the divorce process as far as what you see with what you do? Yeah. So I I alluded to a couple of those things through where I can, really provide the most value. And I would say what I I see most commonly is related to the marital home, because there is often one of the two spouses, or maybe, maybe both, maybe they haven't decided who's going to keep the home. But Mm -hmm. regardless, um, in today's world, especially with where we're at in the the housing market, and you know, what happened not too long ago in terms of um, the contraction in the market, we've got a lot of situations where people aren't necessarily willing from not only an emotional standpoint, but also a financial standpoint to walk away from um, the investments that they've made in homes and the equity that's been built up, knowing that it's going to be very challenging to find something um, relatively similar or Mm -hmm. from a living standpoint, same, um, kind of living expectations. So, so Mm -hmm. really understanding what you're getting yourself into and, and whether that's the right decision to make and whether it's something that uh, on the outside of, of divorce, as you're moving forward, is it something that you're really going to be able to handle financially, I think is a big aspect. So part of what I do, I tend to work with, um, both spouses and specifically that spouse that wants to keep the home to model out what their financial picture is going to look like so that they're truly um, confident and and have a clear understanding that they're going to be able to take on that financial burden of that decision. So, so that marital home aspect is one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making because they're not really clear on what that looks like and can find themselves in a bit of a pinch. Um, Another, can I ask you regarding sure. that, mistakes in the home related to keeping a home perhaps when they shouldn't or what specific, like for me, um, the reason I'm asking this is it seems most of the time, at least nine, nine times out of 10, one spouse will want to keep the home, whether they've, whether or not they've even, and usually they have not discussed or even considered what that looks like, meaning the ability to refinance, exactly. the, the ability to qualify, what that payment's going to look like. And then alternatively, what is that buyout going to look like? Is it going to come from an offset from a pension or Mm -hmm. are they going to try and pull some cash out? And do they really even need the home that large to begin with? Absolutely. Yeah. And then the the downside, I was at a wedding on Saturday talking to some folks who, you know, when we talk about what we do, of course, everyone says, oh, I'm divorced or what have you. So it came the conversation where a spouse said, you know, she really wanted to keep the house. I did a buyout. It was at the top of the market. The market crashed, and now she's upside down because of the buyout. So 
I think that was kind of what you were alluding to a bit, know what you're getting into, that's some of the downsides. Exactly. And, and as another example, one of my clients right now that I'm working with, they are in a position where um, they are not wanting to sell the house right now because they're not able to get on the market what they believe the home is worth. So mm-hmm. we're working out some creative options with them on future sale of the property and what the terms would look like for them to do that and almost doing a sort of rent back scenario to mm-hmm. where you're looking at the home on on the market as if it were a rental property. So there's some really creative things you can do to avoid um, making those kind of impulsive decisions because I guess the need is or the feeling is that you need to make those decisions in the midst of the process rather than planning for the best outcome, which could look a little different. Yeah, I think people don't realize that there are there are other options other than just selling and buying out, although those are probably the two main ones we see. We've had uh, either, like you said, for financial reasons, selling at a later point. We've had that with several investment properties with clients where we've they've decided to keep and maintain it and share in the, the cost and, and all that until a point when they can sell. Or we've had, had several people that re, re, unrelated to finance or the market, they wanted to keep the spouse, one of the spouses in the in the home so the children could remain there until they graduate from high school. So they exactly. don't do, disrupt as much as, as it normally would. Right. Right. So some of the other areas that I tend to see some of the bigger mistakes being made is uh, goes back to the valuating assets. So, um, you know, if you pick up, for instance, a a pension statement, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be able to look at that and really see what the value is. So I caution um, my clients to just to pay for the cost of valuing assets like a pension. or even executive stock options. A lot of people don't know that that you can actually have uh, rights to options that haven't yet vested mm-hmm. due to certain situations. So I just encourage them to put everything out on the table so that we can talk about what really needs to be valued, especially if it's considered to be something worth a significant proportion of what that marital basket looks like. Because if they don't value that right, it could definitely come up as a surprise down the road. Um, and then along those lines, too, as I'm sure you're you're well-versed in with all of the, the work that you do on the documentation side, but just ensuring that those retirement accounts are treated correctly throughout the divorce. So uh, if a quadro is needed, then ensuring that, that those are taken care of and, and done the right way, because I can't tell you how many times I've had people call me that are divorced and did not handle that accurately and are now trying to figure out how to go about fixing that so that they get, you know, the proper rights to, to the assets that they believed that they had um, access to. Yeah. And it happens more often than people think they, uh, I get, I say the majority, well, maybe 50% of the quadros we handle come from people who have divorced years in the past right? and not with us because we'll, we'll make sure if we have clients that we know into the judgment, we know that they're going to need one. We'll let them know of their options and that they right. get done. But it, because most, in my experience, the family law attorneys don't handle the uh, quadros, they refer them out to a, a quadro attorney or someone like us, that the clients, you know, they're done with their divorce, they're happy or unhappy or whatever the case might be, but they think they're completely done. Mm-hmm. And then they realize five, 10, I've done, I'm working on a 20 year old uh, divorce case where they never did the quadro. And now they don't know where the other party is. So it can be, 
get more complicated. It's good just to get those types of things, get everything shored up uh, when you're dealing with it, not let some of those things lie. Because we have a lot of people call me and say, we've, you know, I just realized my spouse retired five years ago and I haven't been getting paid because we never did the quadro. So. Yeah. And I've got a, a client who called in and her ex-husband's actually going through a second divorce. And so they're trying to weed out what belongs to her and what belongs to uh, the, <laughs> the second divorce yeah. spouse. So totally. it's tough. I mean, it, yes. it gains complexity as time passes. So the sooner you take care of it, the better. It sure does. Let's change gears here a bit. I want to talk more about your kind of process, procedure, intake, um, that, t- that type of thing. Yeah. Um, I work with you in the essence of if we get into a kind of financial quagmire, if you will, or it goes, mm-hmm. there's issues that go beyond my level of expertise or even comfort level where I feel they right. should speak to someone in your shoes that can give them the correct answers so we're not playing the guessing game. Plus, that allows me to keep them kind of you know, with my services and then not having to get attorneys or go somewhere else. If I can mm-hmm. offer someone to say, here's who you need to talk to, it makes, it makes me look better as well. But how, in as far as the service do you provide, is it different when, say, someone calls you on their own accord, like they're not working with an attorney or someone like myself, or they are you know, doing their own divorce, or you know, they, have, they have attorneys, does your service change, or how does that impact how you, how you help someone? Yeah, um, so I kind of look at it in three primary buckets as to how I'm helping um, clients that come in, depending on what that approach looks like. So from a more DIY or self-represented side, uh, you do not need to have an attorney to work with me. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these are people that are either working together with their spouse so they are amicable and I am representing them from a third-party financial neutral standpoint. Um, You know, they've got financial complexities. They want to make sure they're making the right decisions. So I'm either helping them in the context of Um, helping them to value certain assets that they need on a standalone basis to reach Mm -hmm. agreements that they have. So those are more one-off limited scope type services, or I have my divorce financial planning slash mediation packages, which are the more full service, comprehensive start to finish, meaning that, you know, we're not done until you and your spouse have reached an agreement on the property division and you fully understand what that looks like. So, so that's where, you know, at the end of the day, I sit down with them. We do um, that same analysis that I was referring to earlier about the uh, goals, priorities, um, what that looks like and do my best to work with those clients all the way through to the end to ensure that they're obtaining or achieving as much of that as possible. Um, from a mediation standpoint, if couples are working with an outside mediator, then I can also provide services where I'm either, again, representing both of them as a neutral or I play the role of advocate. If there's one of wants to seek uh, information to bring into mediation or that mediator needs a financial expert that can be relied upon for some of these specifics or evaluations or um, scenarios that they can then bring in or they can bring me into mediation. I've done that in the past as well. So so that looks a little different. Um, And then finally, the litigated cases, that's really going to be where I'm representing one of the two parties and I'm either most predominantly contracted directly from the attorney to really represent that 
particular individual's case and to ensure that we're getting the most uh, optimized outcome possible given the details of that case. So really those three buckets, the DIY, mediated, and litigated, they're, they're all a little different, but um, my either a la carte valuation type services or mm -hmm. the full comprehensive divorce financial planning packages are, are best suited for those. Gotcha. Yeah. You, your service works great for me as far as a compliment to what I do, because I can either, you know, if they, if they're have a completely financial related, like we have many, many clients who, you know, they're 20 years married, they're getting divorced and the children are grown. So it's not, it's not a custody issue. It's financial. Yep. Exactly. And they can either come, I can send them to you to get the financial situation handled either as you say, treated it more, more like a DIY where they have me preparing the paperwork in the background, but they need uh, some additional financial assistance on that end. Or, you know, if, if they come to me and they're right off the bat, you know, they're not, they want to be amicable, but they're becoming frustrated because they, they're not able to come up with an agreement. They can use even your more comprehensive you know, mediation package. And once you've got those issues settled, you just come right back to me. And we're exactly. It's a pretty seamless process because at the uh, outset of it, we're really sitting down and, and terming out all of those uh, property division agreements that are made. So once both they and their spouse are comfortable that they've reached the proper agreement, then I'm just literally handing that over to you. And then it's that seamless process into the divorce paperwork and filings that you do. Exactly. Exactly. Now I've been, I was reading a, a, um, ebook or a, a book on, it's not a book on tape, but an audible uh, book mm -hmm. called the E-Myth Revisit. I don't know if you've ever. Um, I, I think I've heard of that. Series. Yeah. Okay. So not to get into details, but one of the, he has one that's specifically related to attorneys and, and that type of, of, of field. And it said, and it was interesting. It said one of the uh, most important things they recommend attorneys do is they come up with some type of flat fee pricing one way or another. Right. And I just, I just listened to this book maybe two months ago, but when I started my business, I decided to go on a flat fee um, rate for all of our services we provide uh, mostly because I didn't, I want people to know what they're getting into up front and I didn't want to have to deal with billing. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was just clicking around your site before I, uh, we had this call and I saw that you've also taken kind of a flat fee approach. Can you talk more about your, uh, how you do your pricing for your services? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the most frustrating thing I've been through my own divorce and one of the things that bugged me the most was that retainer process with an attorney. And, you know, you've got to upfront that initial amount and then cross your fingers and hope that you're not going to be severely exceeding that and that you're going to get good communication along the way on what you are. And that was one of the things I just did not want to do. And, you know, as a financial professional and having the expertise in my line of business, I feel that I should be able to estimate the type of time it's going to take me and for me to take that risk for my clients to ensure that I am committing to them that, you know, I'm going to work with them in partnership to reach that agreement that they're looking for and what's comprised in that for me. So for me, a flat fee service is just providing my clients with that transparency and that commitment that they're going to get my full service package and, and on my website it shows all that's you know included in that scope. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day they need to know what they're getting and that they're not going to be surprised by um, you know new costs or, or added 
costs along the way. I think we're very clear through the process on what those could look like and and what they may be. But flat fee to me is the way to go. I think it's the way that most industries are moving these days. And it's the probably most transparent and clear way to be with your clients. Yeah. And this probably ring true for you as well as it does for me is in, in this book, it said, if you are the professional you think you are, you should be able to come up with some fees where it's, it's going to pencil out, you know, at the end of the day. Yes, you may take a hit on one, but some are going to be easier on occasion for that same fee. And that's, that's how it is for me. You know, we have our flat fees. Sometimes it's much more than I expected, but I never have gone back to a client and said, Hey, this is, this is took longer, you know, had a reason for asking for money. I've just, you know, took it on the chin and realized some were much easier. Some were just going to take longer. Are you finding that to be true with you as well? I completely agree. I think it's a demonstration of experience when you see flat fees, because Mm -hmm. um, as long, as long as you do your homework and you can check out that, um, you know, they're not so good to be true or on the other end of the scale, they don't seem so high that, you know, you're seeing these people build in a lot of buffer, um, then you're going to get good service and it should be demonstrating of the experience that, that professional has. Exactly. And one of the other questions I want to ask you is, is how your flat fees compares kind of to other divorce professionals. And we kind of touched on the retainer situation. I have done countless podcasts and videos on how that works because I've seen some awful situations, people coming to me after putting $5,000 as a retainer on a lot and then you know, mm-hmm. a divorce attorney and then they come to me because their their money is gone. And when I look at their case online, all they had was the case filed, a few emails and, you know, at four or $500 an hour, it's 10, 12 hours of work. And that's it. That money's gone. And the, the misunderstanding people have with retainers is I don't know if they're not reading the retainer agreement or not, but many of them have what's called an evergreen um, language. Clause, which yeah. Means, yeah, which means that once that 5000 spent, they don't have to ask for them for more money. They can continue working past that retainer. And, and surprise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I worked for a law firm years and years and years ago before I started this business. And we got more uh, people wanting to uh, settle at billing because they'd get their new bill for another ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and they just couldn't <laughs> figure out how that how that happens. So right, very dangerous. It it absolutely is, and I think you know um, you can attest to this with your line of business too. As attorneys can can definitely handle a gamut of um, aspects of the divorce process, but seeking specialists that are aligned to the line of work that you need and the caliber of work that you need. For instance, if it's legal document preparer and you've got everything handled, you don't need a high caliber attorney to handle that for you. Same for the financial aspects of things is, you know, oftentimes if an attorney is well-versed enough in the financial aspect of divorce, they're most likely going to be charging the highest end of the spectrum that you can find because a lot of them are not necessarily comfortable doing that. So on a, on a really rough basis, um, when you're considering the average hourly fees of family law attorneys in California, your average CDFA is going to come in around half of that. So mm-hmm. on an hourly basis, of course, I'm in a, f- a flat fee field, but if you were to mm-hmm. break it down, you're going to find that we are, um, very affordable alternatives and more specialized alternatives when it comes to property division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I always tell folks, ideally, unless unless you really know, you know, unless one of the spouses is really 
being inappropriate and hiding assets and doing where you really need an attorney to uh, litigate and protect your quote unquote rights. I mean, ideally, if you're look, someone's looking for a more uh, financially uh, sound way of getting through a divorce, use someone like me for the back end and dealing with the courts. Use use someone like you to handle the financial decisions and get that short up. And then if they, you know, once we have a judgment drafted based on, you know, this, this comprehensive discussion that you have and the paperwork that I take care of, they can always take that to have it reviewed by an attorney if they want to see if there's any out points. Absolutely. I think from a financial standpoint, uh, that's, that's going to be the best route. Uh, that someone could go. Yeah, most cost effective for sure. And and, and yeah. without, you know, not lacking quality either. So I think if you've got that yeah. all all wrapped up, it's a very easy review on an attorney's and that's going to be able or that you're going to be able to more accurately manage from a time perspective. Exactly. Now, you are in San Clemente, is that correct? That's right. Southern California. So- Yep. So I, with my business, I handle a lot of virtual clients. We, my service area, as far as what I consider, is, is all of California since the, the court process is relatively the same everywhere. So that's kind of where I, that's my area of, of expertise in California divorce. And we do a, probably 90% of our business is virtual. Um, right. Still to this day with the internet and people ask, well, how are we going to do this? I live in Northern California. I said, oh, this thing called the internet and the phone. <laughs> right. You know, I'm still surprised that people have issues or concerns with that, but um, you you also provide services um, virtually or the phone, right? It's not all, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to hang a shingle and have someone have to walk in or drive to me. Right. Yeah. And it's, I it's, love that. I know <laughs> I do too. Of course. I think we all do. And, you know, the world's gone virtual and, and yeah. divorce services are very much moving that direction. And it all comes down to the comfort level of the clients and what they're used to dealing with. But I will tell you that most of my clients I've encountered have not had any issues handling um, the process virtually. Of course, when I'm working on more of my a la carte or focused services, those are pretty easy because they're really kind of a, a back and forth or more linear dialogue. Mm-hmm. On the divorce financial planning packages or mediation packages, those are a little more complex, but still completely manageable. I use a platform called Zoom, which allows us to share screens. I submit reports for them so that they can actually um, review those reports and those scenarios with together with me um, via that platform. We have active mm-hmm. dialogue. We um can do everything as effectively as if we were sitting in the same room. So I don't see it as any form of barrier. Yeah. Once we, you know, the only barrier usually is the client coming on board to understand that there, you know, there are things like zoom and other software products where you can have a face to face without literally being face to face. Absolutely. And so there is a little setup sometimes and a learning to getting that set up, but um, usually something that's pretty easy to manage. Exactly. Well, I think we talked about a lot of the topics I wanted to uh, hit on. Was there anything that I didn't ask that I I should have asked or that you'd want to uh, say? No, I think this time was great. I think, you know, um, our services can be a a very good complement to each other. And I, as you'd mentioned, I just would encourage anybody that's got um, the financial complexities at hand to reach out to a CDFA if it's not me. a lot of us do free consults and use them, use people to understand whether it's a right fit for you and, and um, you know, contact him or myself and we can get you taken care of. 
And on that note, can you let everyone know how they can get a hold of you, maybe website, phone, that sort of thing? Yeah, so you can reach me through my website at www.squareonedivorce.com, or you can find me on Facebook at uh, Square One Financial Services, Inc., and you can also find me on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, Jennifer Taylor CDFA, and I'm also on Instagram. You've been listening to Tim Blankenship on Divorce Master Radio. Learn more at Divorce661.com, where you can find hundreds of video and audio tutorials discussing the California divorce process. Need professional assistance with your divorce? Give us a call at 661-281-0266 and let the professionals handle your divorce.